You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon. It's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. And you're here on the Bose Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And the smoke has not rolled in like they predicted. So the sky is blue, the sun is shining. And if it's only like this for the apocalypse on, on Monday, everyone will be happy. <laughs> so it's it's been an interesting week uh, for me as a Lane County Commissioner. I have been to Florence twice this week. Uh, we had ODOT at my Lions Club meeting in between shows, so there's lots to talk about. I also spent a day over in Salishan, uh, just south of Lincoln City, uh, with my Association of Oregon Counties Legislative Committee meeting, where we got to hear from four different state representatives about the past session and what's coming up in the short session. So there's all sorts of things to talk about today. But today is a free-for-all day where you get to control the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. And if you want to talk to me, your West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich, just give us a call here at 646-721-9887. And just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887 and uh, press one and we'll get you on the show because free for all days, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'll interrupt my train, train of thought, stop what I'm talking about and go straight to your subject. And that's why it's a free for all day. So again, 646-721-9887. And Bo's Nose Show is now coming to you also through live Facebook streaming. And you can get that on our Facebook page. And if you ever want to get a hold of us between shows or even during the show, you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Or you can Facebook message us uh, from our KRBN News Talk Radio Facebook page uh, and do a little PM there that, that messenger thing and uh, we'll get the message and we'll try and get back to you. So all sorts of things to talk about today on the Bose Nose Show. You know, we could talk about the the eclipse coming up. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about the eclipse. It was kind of interesting to be over on the coast uh, up in an area of totality up there. On Monday, it was already starting to get a little crowded and traffic was a little bit slower than normal. Uh, trying to get through Newport and some of the towns up there. But, you know, everybody's talking about the eclipse. And and you can hear that on the other shows. We're here kind of to talk about local government and state government and how government impacts your lives on a day-to-day basis. 
So I kind of want to move on to some other things. I want to briefly talk about my two trips over to Florence because speaking of local government and doing a few things right, uh, Mayor Joe Henry and the Florence City Council over there seem to be having things moving in the correct directions uh, with their city manager, Aaron Reynolds. And I got to go over there uh, twice in the last week. Uh, last Thursday, they had a celebration, uh, kind of grand opening of their Rhododendron Drive improvements there from basically um, in town all the way out to um, just past the Green Trees um, uh, subdivision there. Uh, and it was a project that was really controversial when they first started it. And this is kind of where you get to um, how hard it is to engage the public sometimes. And then once the public gets engaged, listening to the public, it, it, when they do finally get engaged, they had multiple public meetings on that project as it was warming up and then as they applied for and obtained ODOT grants to build this project. Because Rhododendron Drive along there uh, was a two-lane road, no real shoulders, no sidewalks, um, was a main way in and out of Old Town from Hasita Beach. Uh, and people wanted to basically be able to get on their bicycles in Hasita Beach and ride down to Old Town, have lunch, and kind of ride back to whatever uh, house they were renting up there in Hasita Beach or Driftwood Shores or something. And it wasn't a real safe roadway. So they had public meetings as they were developing the project, got the engineering drawings done. And it wasn't until they went out there and were starting to survey for the road project and were putting the clearing limit flagging up along the roadway that people suddenly realized just how wide the project was going to be. And it really raised an uproar in Florence uh, when they realized they were going to be cutting down all these native rhododendrons that were 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, uh, big, great, big, tall things. And they also were going to be cutting the vegetation practically right up to the units in the Green Trees um, senior living uh, subdivision there. And so it, it was kind of an, you know, that aha moment for folks. And they suddenly got involved in this and the Save the Roadies kind of uh, uh, group got together and started lobbying uh, the city hall folks. Uh, there's almost a complete turnover in the city council in the next election. But the city council there did the wise thing. When people finally got engaged with the project, seeing they wouldn't show up to the, you know, the earlier meetings and weren't understanding what was being proposed. Now that people were engaged, they stopped the project and started talking with ODOT. Because one of the reasons the project was so wide was it was being done to ODOT standards of a typical um, two-lane roadway with bike lanes on each side and then a park strip where they plant trees and then a sidewalk and then some swales and stuff like that. So by the time you got out to the clearing limits, it was 100 feet of, of, of width uh, to get this project done for uh, a two-lane road. Well, they, they backed up and tried and, and went to ODOT and said, can we alter your standards? You know, let's talk about maybe bringing the sidewalk only on one side of the street, not both sides, and putting it right up behind the curb so it doesn't, you know, spread out as far. And then as we get down the project, let's just go to an extra wide shoulder that can serve as both a bike lane and a pedestrian facility. And they managed to narrow up the project so much that, it, you know, preserved a lot of that vegetation. Uh, the folks down there that live along it really like it. 
people that need to actually get to and from old town seemed to like it made the road a whole lot safer really nice and smooth i got to ride my bike on it but that's the way you know if you know people pay attention and stay involved in government it's kind of sad it had to happen sort of halfway through a project getting redesigned but it's one of those things where if you don't think you can have an impact on your local government you're not correct you need to kind of keep an eye out when they're holding those public meetings if you're if you live along a roadway get involved early uh, but it was a really nice uh, opening of Rody Drive. Uh, they had a community walk from the Peace Harbor Hospital down to the Green Trees place where the folks at Green Trees, you know, celebrated the fact that they were successful in changing the design and protecting their vegetative buffer from that busy roadway. And uh, it was just a win-win for everyone all around and a, a kind of really nice event and kind of showcasing um, citizen involvement in local government and how reactive local government is to citizens versus, oh, let's say your federal government, maybe. Um, yeah, uh, we don't need to go there. Um, and then the second time I was down in Florence was just this morning. Went down there for the Coast Guard City Celebration, where uh, the U.S. Coast Guard um, has designated uh, this the city of Florence is a Coast Guard city, and that's a designation that only lasts five years. They have to get redesignated, and you gain that designation by showing how you support the local Coast Guard. And of course, there's only a small station down there, uh, Sayusla River Station, but the city of Florence really embraces those folks. Uh, you know, where they, uh, the local um, Oregon Coast Military Museum uh, folks there and their their volunteers get together with the Chamber of Commerce, and they've actually had a, a formal dinner for the Coast Guard uh, folks down there. And uh, Florence is the smallest city to receive that designation. And it's also only the 24th city that's received that designation. The most recent one was San Diego back in February. So the largest city got one in February, and now the smallest city uh, here in August uh, with Florence and they're pretty proud of that. And it was kind of fun to go down there because the local Kiwanis um, had put out the American flags all along 126 and 101 like they do for national holidays uh, at the request of the, uh, the, the chamber and the uh, city government. Uh, they were willing to do that. And that's an all-volunteer effort of putting those flags out. So it looked really cool. They have the new sign as you come into Florence on 126 that says, Welcome to Flor Florence. Oregon, a Coast Guard city with the Coast Guard's emblem on, on, on it. It's really a, a cool sign. Um, but it was a really nice celebration, just kind of showing again how um, Florence uh, is a great community. I mean, it, it's a surprising community for a city of, of basically a little under 10,000 people. Um, they have one of the most active rotaries, one of the most active Kiwanis clubs. They've got a great boys and girls club. In fact, it was kind of fun right before the uh, Coast Guard City celebration. I was outside uh, and the Coast Guard had actually landed one of their helicopters near there next to the parking lot for the Florence Events Center. Wish I could have been there when it landed because I bet that was pretty exciting because it was coming in between trees and power lines and all that. Good pilot. And uh they had a, a group of kids from the uh, Boys and Girls Club that were going through a summer aviation camp 
that they were taking in two at a time and having them sit in the seat, the pilot co-pilot seat of the helicopter and the pilot and co-pilot of the helicopter were there and talking to them about the controls and uh, how the how the craft flies. And they were going to be heading over to the airport after that um, and uh, ran into my friend Larry Farnsworth, uh, who's also involved, who flies um, for, uh, I believe, United Airlines as an airline pilot who was in his um, official uniform because he was going to be speaking to that camp uh, later on in the day. Uh, pretty cool. You know, little town like Florence, all those great things going on amazing volunteer community in Florence, amazing sense of community in Florence, and uh, really kind of uh, showcasing why they have that uh, slogan, uh, you know, Florence, a city in motion. Uh, they, they definitely seem to be doing some good things there in local government down in Florence. But enough about getting to visit Florence and all that stuff. Probably should get on to some of the other topics I have lined up for today. And let's you want to call in and change the topic because it's a free-for-all day and I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you call me at 646-721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. We'll get you on the air and we will get talking about the topics you want to talk about instead of the ones I've thought about talking about today. But we can move on to some of those topics and uh, get into some of the things that happened at my AOC meeting, uh, which is the Association of Oregon Counties, which is really you know, one of those great things about being a county commissioner is talking with other county commissioners so that we can kind of talk about what works, what doesn't work, because um, you know we all, all don't need to be reinventing the wheel uh, every in every county, all 36 counties, we can kind of take some lessons from each other. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's always a great networking event to be talking with them. And also about, you know, what's important and what we can work together with, uh, you know, lobbying for at state at state level and national level. And that's basically what this uh, meeting was, is their legislative committee, which I serve on as the uh, co-chair of the Public Safety Committee uh, for uh, the Association of Oregon Counties. And it was uh, interesting to kind of listen to the uh, four uh, legislators that came and spoke. You know, we first went through a great big um, couple hour review of the of last session from the uh, um, professional staff at AOC that helped us with our lobbying efforts, going over what bills passed, what they meant to the counties, you know, what was important, what we didn't get passed, and, and that, you know, is always interesting, but it really got interesting kind of in the morning when uh, we first got to hear from legislators, because one of the things we kind of asked, um, you know, them was not so much to look back on last session too much, but, you know, kind of what, what, what's, uh, what did they want to look forward to in some ways, but it's kind of interesting that a lot of them spent a lot of time talking about last session, because, of course, you know, like, most politicians, they want to talk about things that they got done or, or they, they championed that were successful um, to, you know, show off the notches in, in their gun belt, so to speak. And, and we got to hear first from Senator Arnie Roblin, who actually represents um, Florence and the coast and all the way up into Lincoln City. So that was why he kind of was the, uh, uh, the lead off as the senior representative for the area we were actually holding the meeting in. 
And, uh, you know, I, I've worked with uh, Arnie and his staff quite a bit. Uh, he's a pretty uh, pragmatic legislator and kind of understands um, small business and his concerns for the economy of the coast are, are uh, sometimes put him at odds with his own, own uh, uh, political caucus. Uh, at times. In fact, uh, one of the things he talked about was how he got in trouble for basically stopping uh, a clean diesel bill uh, in the Senate and got him in trouble with some of his uh, compatriots. But um, one of the couple of things he did get through was he got through a bill that uh, added another one and a half million dollars for failing septic systems on the coast. And, uh, you know, kind of why that's important is there's so many, uh, um, you know, with all the, the, the vari variances in soils on the coast and the high water tables that we see and the, the, the extremely permeable sands, it's really difficult to get good septic systems in sometimes. And quite often uh, these septic systems are in communities that surround some of the freshwater lakes that are just back from the ocean. Uh, things like uh, Wohink and uh, Silkus, uh, you know, multiple lakes. And quite often, those lakes are the source of drinking water for the houses that surround them. And if they become polluted from failing septic systems where they get uh, algae blooms or if they get um, health warnings, it can really impact the economy of that area, particularly with tourism, because, you know, you want to talk about something that's going to kill tourism, you know, advertising that it's unsafe to drink water or even get in it in the case of a, of a blue-green algae incident. Um, that's kind of an important thing. So he's pretty proud of trying to help uh, some of the folks that can't afford to fix their septic systems. This is a bill that kind of uh, provides both uh, a loan program and a grant program, depending on, on your uh, economic circumstances to try and keep those septic systems up to speed on the coast, which is also important too for the shellfish industry, uh, as you think about when you get high bacteria levels and what, what it can do to the uh, crabbing and clam uh, industries and oyster industries on the coast. Uh, so really kind of an important thing. Uh, he was also kind of uh, happy about fixing a, a suction dredge mining bill that a kind of kind of cast a wide blanket and um, banned it from all waterways instead of just the ones that are uh, supporting salmonoids uh, and uh, various you know, salmon and uh, trout and, and a few other fish and endangered fish. And they kind of fixed that bill so that you could actually use a suction dredge in some of the uh, waterways that never have a salmon ever, ever in them, you know? So um, then he got to talking a little bit about the short session. And I, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's something I want to talk about. And it was an interesting discussion he had. He talked about when they passed Measure 71, first you know, referred it out from the legislature to the voters to go to annual sessions. And the sales pitch for it was, we're going to have this limited 15-day session in the odd years and the reason we're doing that is because we've had so many problems in the past when the economy's changed and the, it threw all of our uh, economic assumptions that we have to make for two-year projection so out of whack that we didn't we need to correct things. 
And a lot of um, decisions were being made by what they called the E-Board, which was a group of legislators that were appointed um, by the um, president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House that basically ran, you know, made corrections to budgets and stuff throughout the biennium after after the uh, session had ended in the even years. Uh, so for about a year and a half, this sort of um, semi-elected, you know, they're elected as a representative, but they're not elected directly to the e-board. Um, so they're appointed to that. We're running Oregon, so to speak. So transparency-wise, there were concerns about that. So the, the short session was proposed, and it was, um, if you go back and look at the statements in favor of it, the, the, it was sold as a time to fix things, to adjust budgets, to the economic circumstances and, and new um, revenue projections and expense projections, to be able to react to changes and emergencies, and maybe to fix things that were passed in the long session, because um, I know of at least one bill where they put the word shall in, that they, they meant to put in the word may <laughs> on, on something counties should do that we're going to have to have them fix um, in, in the short session. That's the sort of thing the short session was meant for. It was not meant for, and Senator Roblin mentioned this uh, specifically, to do something as complex as do legislation that's multiple page, deals with multiple issues, and um, you know really should be done in the long session where they can have adequate public hearings. There's not even enough time to hold, hold more than one hearing on a bill. Uh, let alone hearing on the Senate side, hearing on the House side, do any sort of rec reconciliation of the bill. And the bill he's most concerned about having getting forced through the short session is the attempt to set up some kind of cap and trade or cap and invest system on carbon in the state of Oregon, similar to what California has adopted. And it's a very complex issue um, and basically is setting up um, you know, a trading system, similar, you know, trading laws that would, you know, similar to the New York Stock Exchange or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange uh, for these carbon credits. Uh, there's banking rules, there's rules for what qualifies. It's really a complex system and really should not be done in the short session. And it's interesting, um, just about every the rest of the legislators that spoke all mentioned um, trying to make sure that the short session really um, uh, that particular what it was meant to be, which is basically a fixed session and nothing more. Because you know, basically it's supposed to be 15 days from start to finish. They don't normally work on the weekend, so it's basically 10 working days. Um, and you just can't do some of that big stuff. So the, the next uh, legislator that spoke was Representative Gomberg, and he also is the state rep for that uh, district that includes Salishan uh, Resort up there. And he spoke about the transportation bill because uh, he was on that committee. Um, he also was really proud that the legislature added 11% to the education budget. Um, was also talking about how they um, kind of fixed what the uh, uh, 
governor had proposed with the veterans budgets where she was basically um you know once the, the voters approved measure 96 and added lottery funding uh into these veteran services offices they were going to take away the general funding and not really have an increase in service and they actually fix reverse that proposal the governor had and there's actually going to be a significant increase in veteran services funding and um you know, and then the next thing he talked about was some of the uh, the uh, OHP funding a little bit, and um, you know, the Oregon Health Plan and, and the whole uh, medical medical tax thing, um, and the challenges if that gets overturned. Uh, but he got into, you know, he he tended to talk a little bit more about what he wanted to do next, and he really talked about. Um, providing a bit more housing supply uh, in Oregon and, and the whole housing challenges. And I was glad to hear that because it was interesting. Later in the day, we did um, a thing where, where every um, county commissioner was there, kind of listed their top three priorities, um, and almost everyone listed housing as a priority all over the state, whether it was the folks from Malheur County, way out east or grant county or it was folks up in washington county where they they have more than enough money and and a thriving economy to the folks all the way down in, in josephine and curry county um, housing is an issue all over the state uh, and we've got to do something to try and increase our housing supply in the state and the, one of the major um, obstacles to that is, is some of our land use laws so it'll be interesting to see what there were some bills that were proposed in the last session that didn't make it. Maybe they might come back with some tinkering in the short session. Um, you know, if we could just get one of those through, uh, possibly if it's not a very complex bill. There was one about um, making it easier for counties to change their land use laws to allow for uh, accessory dwelling units in rural residential and uh, some of the other rural zones. So that if you already had a house uh, on a residential property out out there, you could add um, a manufactured home or even maybe maybe even an RV uh, that you'd be able to uh, rent out, uh, and that would quite a significant amount of housing supply. Um, you also talked about you know the unintended consequences of the transportation bill and, and having to deal with that sometime in the future, not necessarily in the short session, but with all these um, bridge reconstructions that are now doing to try and protect against the uh, subduction zone earthquake on the coast with the new transportation bill money, the one thing it doesn't fund is the relocation of all the utilities that are hung off those bridges which quite often are small cities or utility districts uh, like water districts um, and and uh, even uh, public uh, utility districts like Central Lincoln uh, that might have lines hung on on these and and that relocation for some uh, small cities like a big a water a main main water line that might run north south on highway 101 um, for a small city like Seal Rock, um, that may be a real challenge for them to try and uh, come up with that money to uh, temporarily relocate it and then rehang it on a new bridge. Um, that would 
that wasn't that's not eligible for gas tax money under that was expanded under the transportation bill so there may need to be some kind of companion um, uh, set of funding for uh, these small districts to you know as we start thinking about all these transportation projects actually costing um, utility ratepayers money um, and maybe even unaffordable uh, for some of these small small utility districts how do we keep them uh, whole and funded was a concern of his, which is interesting um, thinking ahead of unintended consequences by a politician, which sometimes you don't hear too often. Um, and then he uh, you know, talked a little bit about trying to work on debt collection at the state level and how much um, the state's leaving on the table in uncollected um, debt and trying to consolidate that effort and do a better job uh, you know, the estimates are in the billion dollar range right now in uncollected debt and interest, um, maybe up to two billion that the state has. And that would sure do a lot to close some of our uh, budget gaps in the state. <laughs> we just did a better job of collecting what we're owed in the first place. So uh, that was interesting with Representative Gomberg. And the next uh, person that spoke was uh, Representative uh, David Brock Smith, who is a former county commissioner from from Curry County and is now the uh, state rep in uh, District 1, which represents the South Coast uh, down there in uh, Lower Coos and Curry County and um, parts of Josephine and some of Southwest Oregon. Um, and he he basically repeated uh, Senator Roblin's call that cap and trade has no business. I mean, I put quotes around this and he said, Cap and trade has no business in the short session. So um, be interesting to see what happens if they do try and bring it forward, whether we'll see something similar to the uh, 2016 session where the Republican caucus decided to not waive the rules and was requiring that every word of a bill get read on the House on the floor of the Senate before it could even be um, uh, brought up for deliberations or a vote, uh, which slowed things down significantly. And in a short session, that basically could stop everything. Um, but uh, he also, um, you know, was was talking about housing some. You know, one of the things he's particularly been working on is sudden oak death, which is something folks may not be familiar with. Um, but it's a disease that actually doesn't just impact oaks; it can actually impact um, Douglas fir. And it's uh, something that is, is a real concern about moving up from California and into those southern Oregon counties uh, and infecting uh, the trees here and uh, really impacting the, uh, the timber industry and our forests. Um, he has also talked quite a bit about the uh, Marine Workforce Bill that passed and also um, trying to do a fix for uh, commercial fishing license transfers as some of our commercial fishermen are aging out and they're trying to sell their license because there's a limited number. And uh, what happens if some of those sales don't go through and sometimes those licenses end up in limbo for over a year as they try and get them back and then resell them. And he's hoping to kind of fix that so that they're, um, th that license doesn't end up unfished for an entire season. So, you know, you can tell he's a little bit more involved in the coast in some ways. And then we heard from uh, Senator Bill Hansel, who was also a former county commissioner, 
And uh, he also talks about short session getting back to the original purpose. Um, you know, where they, you know, back in 2016, there was an attempt to, to deal with over 500 different bills in that 15 day session. And uh, he's really supporting strong limits on the number of bills that can actually be put forward. Um, and he thinks that they really shouldn't listen to any bill unless it has bipartisan sponsorship um, so that they can just move the bills that are that that can move. So it was a interesting uh, day uh, to, to listen to stuff, but it was kind of interesting. He also talked about how well the Senate got along this last year compared to the, the short session the previous year. And um, his example he gave was the, the pay equity bill that came out of the House on a very partisan vote because it was written only by one side and only had sponsors by one caucus. Uh, the Senate, in, in, in being much more cooperative this year, took it into committee and ended up passing it out on a, on a what they call a dash 31 version, which means it was the 31st amendment to that bill. And once they got that bill out with all that work that the Senate did, it passed unanimously by the Senate uh, as a pay equity bill and you know, was agreed to by both Republicans and Democrats there that that was a, a bill worth supporting. And that was his example of really what should happen. You know, prior to a short session, there should be good agreement on what's coming forward in there uh, and why he thought there should be bipartisan support for a bill to be heard. So that was kind of um, real quick on what happened with the AOC Legislative Committee and what we were hearing from those uh, state representatives and state senators. And I kind of wonder what you think about, you know, what happened in the last legislative session and maybe what you think about the short sessions and annual sessions. You know, are they a good thing that we should keep because we allows us to adjust? Do you think they can have the discipline to keep uh, the sessions uh, not only short and focused on fixing things, or, you know, are you hoping that they'll get to a bill like cap and trade in the short session? Uh, so give me a call here on the Bo's Nose Show here at 646-721-9887. Just press one to get in on the conversation. And, you know, you don't have to talk to me about the short session. This is a free for all day, which means you can control the conversation and the topic. If you call in, I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about at 646-721-9887. Just press one. And that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. And you know, you can also get a hold of us uh, during the show or in between shows at talk at krbnradio.net. Or you can go to the uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page and you can message us uh, there. We're also broadcasting live now on Facebook uh, through that uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. So all sorts of ways to get the Bose Nose Show. And, you know, you can also, if you're away from your computer and can't listen to the show on Facebook or whatever, you can call in with your phone at 646-721-9887 and don't press one and just listen to the show uh, while we're live. Of course, all of our shows get archived on uh, the, K the blog talk uh, 
radio site, and you can find them also by, um, you know, uh, by uh, going uh, searching for them on iTunes, uh, KRBN Internet Radio on iTunes or the Bose Nose Show, and you can listen to any of the past shows. Uh, they they live forever on the internet, so to speak. You might go back when I had either the sheriff as a guest or uh, the DA as a guest and you know, listen to some of the things they had to say. Had a few interesting guests on the Bose Nose Show over over the years. Um, over the year and a half or so I've been doing this. It's been a, a fun show to do. I hope it's uh, a way people can get some good information about uh, what's going on with your local government here in Lane County. And it's an opportunity for you to ask me questions about uh, the local government or even state government because I get pretty involved in that and have to work with our state partners. In fact, one of the things people don't understand is almost every state program that the state uh, funds through the legislature, it's actually counties that carry out most of the services uh, at the ground level. Um, we're the ones that have the veteran services officers for the veterans that the state funds. We're the folks that have the uh, health clinics that the OHP patients uh, get their care through. Uh, you know, we 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 are the ones that actually do the prosecution of criminals. We're the ones that um, run some of these uh, the parole and probation programs for everyone that's uh, you know either been put on probation uh, instead of going to prison or who's coming out of prison on parole. You know, all these various pieces of um, government that the state does more often than not it involves county which is one of the reasons why we're, we pay so much attention to what the legislature does because it has a lot of impact on what happens here at local government and we can even talk about federal government because we still have impact there in fact um, what's interesting is coming up next week we're going to be approving um, acceptance of our burn grants and, and that's spelled B-Y-R-N-E, which um, come from the Justice Department. And there, there are Justice Assistance Grants, known as JAG. Um, and they've kind of been in the news recently, in national news a little bit. If you uh, don't know, there has been some uh, actual uh, movement by the Trump administration to uh, withhold those grants from jurisdictions that are considered sanctuary jurisdictions. And one of the things that we had to do um, to get approval for this grant was answer a six question questionnaire from the Justice Department about some of our policies relative to illegal immigrants and cooperating with the Immigration and Customs Enforcement folks known as ICE. And uh, we were able to answer satisfactorily five out of the six questions. And the sixth question um, is mostly about holding people beyond uh, their release dates um, based on an ICE administrative detainer. And it's something that we can't do uh, because there's actually been um, U.S. Um, circuit court and appellate court decisions around that's not legal. It's against you're infringing on somebody's rights unless there is a 
bench warrant from a judge um, to ask for that hold beyond their release date. Um, we can't base it on an administrative hold from an ICE agent that says, oh, by the way, I'd like to come pick that guy up, but I'm, I'm, I can't do it till tomorrow. Can you hold him overnight? Um, we're not allowed to do that because we're actually violating uh, that person's rights according to court decisions. And um, the folks at the Justice Department agreed with our, our policies there. Everywhere else, we, we do not uh, qualify as a sanctuary jurisdiction. Um, one of the things people don't understand, sometimes they think Oregon's a sanctuary state. It actually does not because the, the laws Oregon passed about not using state and local money to do um, federal law investigations and enforcement of immigration uh, law doesn't make you sanctuary. What does is if you fail to communicate once you arrest somebody for criminal action with immigrations and customs enforcement, and we do that. We still do the communications and everything, although there are jurisdictions that don't like Chicago, and that's why there's this, um, they're proposing to withhold their burn slash justice uh, assistant grant grants uh, from Chicago. Um, and, you know, that's uh, the, what the lawsuit's based on. But it looks like Lane County is not going to have that issue because uh, we do uh, communicate with Immigration and Customs Enforcement when we do take people into custody. Um, and uh, we're not. Um, and we do let them know when we're releasing people and 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 all that. So it's we do everything we're supposed to do, um, with the exception of holding people past their release date, uh, which we can't do because there's a uh, decision uh, out of the federal courts that came out of Portland uh, originally and has been upheld. That basically says, you know, we we we'd be liable for. Um, a federal lawsuit uh, for violating somebody's uh, civil rights um, if we do hold them beyond their release date based on an administrative request versus a judicial bench warrant that says hold that person. So it just means that ICE has to go to a judge and get a judge to write a warrant for us to hold them, which we would do if we got that. So just a little bit of how Lane County intersects even with uh, the federal government and federal policies and all that, because uh, we do get funding from the federal government for various things. Uh, it's a pretty small grant we're talking about um, when it comes to the size of our budget uh, through the burn grant that we're approving next week. But there are other uh, justice assistant grants we get, and they all get folded together with all the local tax money and state uh, Justice Reinvestment Grant money and, and uh, Community Corrections Act funding. And that's how we weave all these pieces together and try and keep our public safety system afloat here in Lane County uh, after the uh, spotted owl and the end of the secure rural school timber payments and uh, really uh, trying to live on a very small budget here in Lane County. So, um, little bit of intersection of how the county and and federal government goes together other thing we're going to be looking at next week might be a little bit more interesting to some folks here uh 
particularly in the Santa Clara River Road uh, neighborhoods around Eugene and maybe even uh, a little bit of the fringe up there um, in the uh, uh, North uh, Gillum neighborhoods uh, uh, on the north side of Beltline there um, above Sheldon High School. Um, the, uh, we've had a lot of folks ask us to pass a similar um, code to the city of Eugene that allows car camping um, and um, like Conestoga huts to be set up at churches and places of business um, that wish to participate in the program in the area that's between um, the city limits of Eugene and the urban growth boundary of Eugene, which is those unincorporated neighborhoods in the Santa Clara River Road neighborhood and also some of the parts of North Hill. And what, what they want us to do is adopt that similar code and then uh, establish uh, some kind of, we would need to establish some kind of intergovernmental agreement with the city to actually run the program because we don't have the staff to run a program. And they actually contract with St. Vincent de Paul to run their car camping program and do any mediation and all that. But ultimately, it's, you know, if, if um, there are problems with somebody that is allowing car camping and, and uh, needs to go through enforcement, uh, we would need the city to be able to do some of that work. So it's kind of an interesting subject. I think the uh, Church Women United is one of the groups that's pushing for this. Um, and some other groups out of, out of um, Eugene. And we're going to have our first kind of work session and open discussion about that next uh, Tuesday morning, uh, probably going to be somewhere about 1030, uh, 11 o'clock. There will be public comment to the board at nine o'clock Tuesday morning if people want to come in and talk about that. But, you know, kind of curious what people think about that. Should should Lane County um, allow that that car camping program that, that is, and, um, you know, the, basically where they allow a church to have, you know, um, somebody there uh, more than the, you know, currently county code only allows somebody to camp on somebody's property for a, a maximum of three days before they have to move on. Um, you know, that's really uh, the the, uh, the crux to this is should we go beyond that and, and allow some of these things? And there's some churches out there in the unincorporated area and some businesses that would, would like to participate in the city's program. And it even might involve some, you know, folks that um, own residences might be able to allow somebody to camp in their driveway. Uh, so kind of the question for maybe some of the folks that might be listening in the unincorporated River Road in Santa Clara, what do you all think about that? Do you think that's a good idea? You think it's gonna be a problem? Um, we have such a crisis in housing. Is that a way to, to help people with housing? Uh, really want to hear from folks about that. So uh, that'll be coming up next Tuesday. Uh, car camping and other camping uh, in the unincorporated areas of River Road and Santa Clara here in Lane County. Uh, run a program similar to the city of Eugene. So again, this is the Bose Nose Show, and it's a free-for-all day on the Bose Nose Show, so you can control the conversation. I've thrown out a whole bunch here from short sessions of the legislature to uh, housing issues to um, 
you know, the Trump administration's policy on sanctuary cities to, uh, you know, city of Florence uh, and the Rhodey Drive and their Coast Guard city designation. You know, we, we've talked about a bunch here on the Bozno Show, but I want to talk about what you want to talk about, which is why I really want you to call me at 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets Robin know you want to get in on the conversation. And we'll get you on the air and we'll talk about what you want to talk about here on the Bozno Show on a free-for-all day where I don't have a guest uh here so we're you know the topics are wide open versus whatever the specialty of my guest is uh so we can talk about all sorts of things in fact if you want to talk about charlottesville we can even talk about charlottesville and some of the uh, violence that's been going on in our country and uh the whole issue of historic uh monuments you know and removing monuments to people that that uh, maybe shouldn't be, uh, you know, just like here in Lane County, where uh, University of Oregon renamed one of their um, buildings uh, because the original um, person it was named after had been a member of the Ku Klux Klan. You know, is that good things, bad things? Is it something that, that um, you know, makes it so that we're not talking about our history? Um, instead of you know kind of erasing our history you know actually talking about talking about why that person's uh not necessarily a good person to be on you know honored um or you know you know what were the good things and why they were honored and what were the bad things and why we ought to know that you know because not not everyone not everything's you know uh easy easily defined when it comes to people we're complex you know, and understanding the times and all that. You know, it's interesting. I heard something on on another radio show about what happens when you Google Abraham Lincoln. And if you do that on Google, you come up with a page and off to the right of the page, Google puts up puts up a brief from um, Wikipedia about Abraham Lincoln. And if you go down that brief and look at the political party for Abraham Lincoln, what would you expect that political party to list? Well, most of us associate Abraham Lincoln as one of the founding uh, politicians of the Republican Party. Well, Wikipedia doesn't list it on that, that page that comes up with a Google search. It lists the party as the National Union Party. Now, if you actually go and look at what the National Union Party was, that was the temporary name of the Republican Party during the 1864 election during the Civil War. And they changed the name to make it clear that they were um, there supporting the Union. Um, and in fact, Lincoln won his first election to president. It was very clear that he was running under the Republican Party banner. So it's kind of is 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 that a deliberate choice by Wikipedia and Google to show that National Union Party label there to try and kind of prevent people from associating Abraham Lincoln with the Republican Party and the fact that really the the abolitionists and Republicans were 
were from the northern states, and it was uh, the the mostly Democrats that were fighting uh, and and supporting the southern states in the Civil War. Uh, you know that you know those pieces of history um, are important, and it kind of trying to remove some of those sometimes is unimportant. But then again, Charlottesville is a whole different thing. The statue of Robert E. Lee in Charlottesville was actually not placed there until the late 50s, I believe 1957, the year I was born. So it's not like the statue was erected um, shortly after the Civil War and is a historic monument to Robert E. Lee because he was an incredible general. Um, and, and actually, if you get into his, his personage, he was not a slave supporter. Um, and, and so it's, he just happened to be leader of, of the um, Southern uh, forces for the Confederacy uh, of their military forces. But when you see the timing of when that statue was put up in Charlottesville, it was at a time of uh, extreme uh, conflict, particularly in the rural counties of Virginia where they were very segregationist and were trying um, to maintain uh, you know, their, their dominance over black people. Um, and it was you know, put up by folks that I would not say were doing it so much to honor Robert E. Lee as to um, make a statement uh, about race. And, and so requesting that particular statute be taken down might be a little bit different than um, trying to remove uh, statutes of famous uh, Confederate generals from the Gettysburg um, battlefield, where they were erected as part of uh, the Gettysburg National uh, Monument designation and all. It, it's uh, a different story. You know, and, and so we, all, we also have to get into the background of what was going on there. But no matter what, nothing, and I mean nothing, should justify violence. You know, we all have free First Amendment rights to free speech, but you should not be allowed to use violence either to suppress somebody's free speech or as part of the expression of your free speech. That's kind of the line. Um, so. That's really, we you know, we really have to be clear, pressing uh, that folks really there's nothing that justifies violence, and 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 you know, particularly that individual that chose to drive their vehicle into that crowd knew they were going to hurt, maim, and, and possibly kill folks. There's no justification for his actions. It's evil and wrong, and 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 I, you know, we can't blame you know the the other side for that, and we can't. Um, but you know, where there where there was violence on on you know in other demonstrations uh, by uh, folks that were uh, you know protesting against some of these folks that are dumb enough to 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 be racist in their views. Um, it, it it's something we we just 
you know, isn't justified on either side. Dave, if you don't mind if I jump in here for a second. Not at all, Robin. I was just uh, thinking when you were talking about that, what happened to the old saying of sticks and stones? You know, is that even, uh, that, you know, that, that was a childhood rhyme. I'm wondering if that's even brought up anymore. Yeah, sometimes, you know, I, wasn't there a book like about 30 years ago about everything I learned about life I learned in kindergarten? Yeah, it could be. There, there, there was a book that got very popular for a while, which was basically all these kindergarten lessons that you ought to carry through your entire life. And sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Right. Is a pretty good thing to live your life by. Yeah. You know, walk, yeah. walk away from the name calling. You know, there's no no justification for violence, really. I totally agree. And then, like some of the protesters that are blocking the freeway, I'm still wondering what what did they gain by doing that. But I can also understand people getting frustrated and wanting to blow through them. But this guy, he did more than that. He plowed. He just didn't gently push people away. Yeah. No. And it was intentional. It wasn't. It wasn't that he was having his way blocked by them so much. He turned and drove into the crowd. It was a very intentional act. Um, and, and even the folks that might want to nudge somebody that's blocking a roadway, at that point, you're taking the violent action. I don't agree with the folks blocking the roadway and impeding somebody's freedom of movement because your First Amendment rights don't give you the right to violate my rights. It's it's the old old story about, you know, you're allowed to swing your fist just as long as it doesn't touch my nose. <laughs> and, and you're allowed to exercise your First Amendment rights as long as you don't violate my rights in the process. You know, things like you can't yell fire in a crowded theater is a freedom as, as free speech because you really might hurt somebody. Um, stepping in, into traffic and blocking traffic is a dangerous thing to do and also impedes somebody's freedom of travel, which is another, you know, freedom we enjoy in this country. But, uh, you know, just a couple minutes left in the Bo's Nose show here. And I want to take a minute maybe just to encourage folks to uh, let their friends know about the Bo's Nose Show if you're listening today, and to like our page, uh, the uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page on Facebook, because uh, that way you'll get our notices. If you've liked the Facebook page when we post a new show uh, up there or something else we're doing, because occasionally we might do some Facebook live broadcasts from other events uh, in between shows. And some of those might be spur of the moment because my schedule changes constantly. Um, that's the thing to do. So you really want to uh, like the uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page and you'll get all the notifications there. In fact, if you want to like my J Westland County Commissioner page, um, that, that's another way you can get uh, information about the county in between shows. So I hope you uh, enjoyed listening to the Bo's Nose show today. We covered a lot of ground from legislation to uh, national issues to, uh, you know, violence and, and erasing history and um, local stuff like Rhododendron Drive in Florence and changing uh, road design. So hope it was interesting for you. Hope to talk to you next week here on the Bose Nose Show, live at 4 o'clock on Wednesdays. Thank you for listening, and good night from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Have a great week.